Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Timothy, verse 6b, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Command those who are rich, this is skipping forward a little bit, I think, I could be wrong, but um, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So, if it's your first time at Skyline this morning and your friend invited you, just turn to them and say, thank you for inviting me on a Sunday. We're going to talk about money. <laughs> You're welcome. So this is going to be fun. Uh, Paul begins uh, the passage with like this general warning for everyone about the love of money, about the desire to be wealthy. Uh, then he transitions into a specific warning for those who are wealthy those who have acquired um, uh, significant wealth in this life. For, for everyone, like kind of broad spectrum, you see he addresses the motive of why we're pursuing money, right? We desire money. Why do we desire it? He's talking about your motives to be wealthy. For the, the wealthy, he addresses the mechanics of money. He actually gives them some prescriptions for them to do to ensure that money doesn't hold the first place in their life and so that they might be rich toward God, not just rich toward the world. He says, listen, um, if you're rich towards God, but you're poor, or if you're poor towards God, but rich towards the world, you're, you're poor. You're impoverished in spirit. Um, and so I, I want to do a little bit just like kind of walking through this passage and looking at some of these things because there's just some like really fundamental things in here that we'll find that are helpful. Um, and so we're going to do that, and then I've got kind of a, 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 an ending thing that I think will help us um, live the kind of life that will encourage generosity and will ensure that money doesn't take us over and we wander from our faith and we end up piercing ourselves with griefs. Um, so the first, that, that godliness with contentment is great gain. I love that, like, godliness and contentment with where God has put us, with what he has given us, that we are happy with the baseline of provision. 
right? And so if our happiness is always depending on some future level, some ladder rung above where we're at, we're never going to be happy because there's always another rung. (laughs) Doesn't matter how much money you make, it's likely there's someone who has made more. Doesn't matter how much stuff you have, there's someone who has more or they have better. And that's what I found about money. The more money you make, it doesn't get you... um, really more stuff. It gets you more in quantity, but it really gets you a better version of the thing you already had. And then what happens is easily you become dissatisfied with a better version of the thing you already have, and now you want a better version than that version, and you just keep trading upward. But what it does is it sows like a discontentment into your heart about where you're at in life, about kind of who you are, about what people think about you, and ultimately can sow discontentment about who God is because you're desiring something and you start to connect the dots that maybe God isn't good, maybe God isn't generous, maybe God doesn't see you. And Paul says, listen, godliness, having the character of Jesus and having food and shelter, the basic provisions is enough. And um, it's interesting because uh, my grandparents, who are not with us anymore, but you know, they were raised in the Depression. And so it's just really interesting for me to remember how simply my grandparents lived and how much that's changed from the point where I'm a child now to a child then to 43. Just the spending habits and the acquisition, how much it's changed um, just in a couple generations. It's been compromised through consumerism, through materialism, through a, a desire for uh, things. He says people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, the foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And listen, he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not the root. Money's neutral, has no, nothing in it. It's, it's us who are not neutral, (laughs) right? Our hearts are either surrendered to Jesus that he owns it all or we're master of all, and we begin to infuse money with a power that it's not meant to have. Our desires are what infuse money with power. That's the spirit of mammon. It's fascinating because Jesus sets up the spirit of mammon, this desire to be wealthy, and not just wealthy, but to have all the things that wealth brings as the biggest competitor for his kingdom. He sets it up. He says, listen, this thing is the biggest competition for my kingdom. And it's because it takes your eyes off of me. And it's because money is a way to become God in our world. Money is the path to autonomy. It's the path to self-actualization. It's a path to live life um, with you being master and commander in all ways where you no longer need anyone, right? Everything you need, you can get, you can pay for, you can find, and it in many ways, eliminates Jesus. That's the temptation that Paul talks about um, is that autonomy that comes from wealth. And the desire to be God is what plunges us into ruin and destruction. It started in the garden, but it's still in us. It's this desire to be set apart and to live our life how we want to. And, and Paul says, some, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So it's interesting that Paul says what happens in these things is that you wander from faith. You don't reject faith and walk out. 
You literally just get a little bit off the path and you a little bit further off the path. Anybody here ever gotten lost in, a, in the woods or something like that? It's fascinating because one of the things they tell you if you get lost is to stay put. <laughs> They're like, don't wander. Don't try to find your way back down. Just stay still. I had a friend. He was in the Pacific Northwest. He got lost in the middle of the mountains. Really scary. He was there for three days. And he was like, I started to like try to find my way out. And then I remembered those words. They said, if you get lost, just stay still. We'll find you. But if you wander around and we're wandering around trying to find you, the likelihood of that in millions of acres of wilderness is just, and he's like, so he literally walked around the same tree for three days and he just waited and he just waited and he just waited. And on the third day he heard voices and he starts yelling, starts crying out. They find him and they're just like, man, I can't believe you did that. Cause if you would have wandered out, we would have never found you. You'd be dead. And I think it's this thing of like, we start to wander and then we get lost in our wandering. And there's no guarantee that we find our way back. We wander because we've lost our true aim. We've lost our true north. We've forgotten what the purpose of life is. People don't like intend to lose their faith. And I was, I was thinking about the worst kind of lost is when you don't know you're lost. That's the worst state of being lost is when you think that you're not lost, but you actually are and you just keep walking and you keep going. Um, Paul's talking about like it's a danger that if you actually get what you're seeking you might lose the most important thing so he says what good is it for you to gain the whole world but lose your soul be careful then he, he moves on right from this generalized thing about all of us to actually the wealthy and he says command the rich to not be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us. So, so first he addresses, if you're wealthy, right? If you're in this room right now and you would be considered wealthy, and I know there's this whole thing about like compared to the rest of the world, you, almost everyone in this world, uh, in this room is considered wealthy. But I think Paul's speaking to a specific group of people who have acquired wealth. He says, listen, the first thing I want you to do is to not be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Right? Don't think you're better than others because you have an ability or you, and in many ways, if you talk to people who have created wealth, many times they will sit down and tell you, listen, this felt like I lucked into this thing. I was born at a certain time. I got into this business at a certain time. I met this person. And they look back and they're like, I didn't have like outsized skill in something. I literally had this chance meeting with somebody and got into this business and did this thing and other people did the same thing. They're as smart as me. They work as hard or harder than me. And I just ended up here. So God says, humble yourself. Just be humble, right? About where you're at and about what you have. Money creates power, right? The ability to make decisions. And power creates pride, right? So you get power and you start to hold on to that power and think it's yours and think it's your ability. And you start to place yourself above. And so you have to not forget where it all came from. And I love in Deuteronomy, God addresses this, right? He's, he's led the Israelites out of the desert into the promised land, what he calls a land flowing with milk and honey. And he tells them this, he says, when you've eaten and you're satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the land, good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you'll forget the Lord 
your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you that in the end it might go well with you. He said, I I did all that to bring you to this, to where you might steward the promised land. You'd be ready for the things I want to give you. God's like, I want to give you abundance, but you've got to be ready to steward it. And he says this, he says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So he's like, even if you're like, through my own ingenuity, through my own intelligence, through my own force of personality, through the way that I can connect, I've created this wealth. God says, listen, even that finds its source in me. No matter how far you drill down into what you created, when you get to the end of it, you will find God. His grace, his provision, it all belongs and finds its source in him. And so you see this, that money isn't the problem, right? Possessions aren't the problem. Pride is the problem. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. This is the, this is the biggest thing, I think, for those of us who have acquired e- enough um, resources to start making our own decisions, to start like, like maybe creating some distance. I love he's like, money isn't a replacement for obedience and good works. What I've seen more than anything probably is when you acquire enough money, you start to buy your way out of the things that other people do. You're like, ooh, everybody's showing up early to church to, you know, set up chairs. I'll just like tithe a little more. <laughs> That'll just like get me out. We just start to like use our, our possessions to relieve ourselves from the difficulties of being involved with the people that Jesus commands us to love. And what we say is, well, I write checks to resource the ministry so that I don't have to show up and do the ministry. And Paul says, listen, there is no opt-out provision in the Bible for serving your neighbor, loving your neighbor. You don't get out of it. And he reminds them, you can't buy your way out of the kingdom. Make sure that you're rich toward God. And, and I just want to tell you, friends, like this is something you can just ask the Lord. Just ask the Lord. Spend some time and say, Lord, am I, am I rich toward you? What does that mean? What does that look like? I want to have kingdom wealth. Like on my, uh, I've talked with a friend here. So we've talked about your kingdom, you know, instead of a financial statement, writing a kingdom statement, right? And it's interesting because if you write out a kingdom statement, things that are... Um, Assets on a financial statement turn into liabilities on a kingdom statement, (laughs) right? So if you have a lot of assets in your financial statement, you're like, I'm doing great. And then you put them here and Jesus says, make sure you haven't put a millstone around your neck. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He's like, hey, listen, things get turned around here when you go in the kingdom. Make sure you're rich toward God. So, the questionnaires, all this stuff. Is it possible? And I love that statement at the end. It's like, how would anybody be saved? And Jesus says, with man, it's not possible. With God, all things are possible. So Jesus doesn't say, if you're wealthy, there's no possible way for you to enter the kingdom or live righteously before him. No, no, no. He's just saying it's hard. <laughs> it's going to be difficult. You're going to have to make some sacrifices. You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to take the power that the world ascribes you and lay it down in many ways and not take the privilege that comes with those things. 
So the question for me is, is it possible that God's given us a way to avoid negative outcomes? And are there practices that Jesus has given us that actually help us shape our hearts for the kingdom? So, hinge point, transition. I've got a confession to make, and I'm super nervous about it. Um, but from, you know, our Sozo and Soul Care friends, they say that you should walk in the light, right? So I'm going to do that. And, uh, but it's like hard to just come out and say it out loud. And uh, so I've just been reminding myself that the issue of my worth was settled at the cross, right? Amen. Anybody clap for that? Amen. So, so here it is. Here's my confession. I believe in tithing. I, I know it's terrible. I said it. It's like, I believe, I believe in tithing. I, I believe in tithing. I believe Christians should tithe. Isn't that crazy? Am I weird or what? Is that like, like, like don't judge me, right? Um, so let me, let me clarify that. I believe in the principle of tithing. And can we separate those? Like between, I don't, I don't believe Christians are under the command or the law, old covenant of tithing. I believe that tithing is a principle and an invitation set forward by God that's available to anyone who would take him up on it. And there's all these promises from God based on this principle that if you'll live into it, there's all these incredible things that God says, I will do this if you will do this. And so, yeah, under grace, new covenant, there's no command. I, ha I have no um, command to give you, but I believe in the biblical invitation. I believe in the formation and the discipline of tithing, what it opens up your heart to and how it makes your finances, your financial life available to God. Um, and, and here's what I know. I, I think there's so many ways to give, but what I see today is I see many people who have rejected tithing outright as religious and antiquated um, only to end up releasing themselves to do less. And isn't that interesting? It, it would be like, I'm searching the Bible to try to get myself out of something to do less, rather than Jesus says, grace should abound now that the law is canceled. Which means grace should actually well up in us to do more, to go above where the old covenant was. If the old covenant is here, grace shouldn't send us under. <laughs> it should joyfully send us over, right? And uh, so for me, uh, my parents were going to come to church this morning. I don't know if they're here. I don't know that they made it. But I'm so grateful to grow up in a household where tithing was a practice and it was taught and it was demonstrated. Um, because of their example and my grandparents, they like gave me this heritage of giving and understanding the goodness of this principle. And so this morning, as we talk, I know that you might be like, I don't know about this. This sounds old school. This sounds churchy. This sounds religious. I would just ask you to maybe open your heart to the Lord and ask him if he wants to move in your life in this way. Not you make a decision with your brain. You do your research. You, you come, ask him, say, Lord, is this an invitation for me today? Is this a way I could engage with you that might change my heart? And I just wrote this statement down. And I said this, uh, beware anyone who's trying to do less than the Pharisees. That's just my, that's my statement. Beware of anyone who's trying to do less than the Pharisees. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and say, hey, you're performing the law, but you're neglecting so much else. And he didn't say, chuck all that other stuff. He's like, no, 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 no. Fill it out, <laughs> right? He's like, you should tithe dill and mint and cumin, but you should also have justice and mercy in your life. 
It's not an either or. Jesus is like the kingdom is a both and. So let's, let's work through this real quick. Uh, actually, let me just show this. I feel like it's this thing of greed versus generosity. I kind of wrote this down. Or I think we have two different things. One is money is evil. The other is money is everything. And I think both of those are false, right? And I think in the middle of that, Jesus comes in and he doesn't say money is evil. He doesn't say creating wealth in this world is evil. I actually have a philosophy that I think if your life is surrendered to Jesus and you're a kingdom person, your goal should be to steward as much capital as possible. Because if your heart belongs to him, you will steward that capital on behalf of the people he loves. And our goal should be that Christians surrender to Jesus would use their resources to love the people that Jesus came to love, right? And so money isn't evil, right? You don't have to, if Jesus tells you to sell all your possessions, can I just tell you, obey him? (laughs) If he says to sell everything, obey him. If he doesn't, your other choice is to be a steward. That's it. You, You either take a vow of poverty towards Jesus or you take a vow of stewardship. There's not really any other choices. It all belongs to him. You obey what he tells you to do. But I think that's the thing there. So, um, that's the verse I read earlier. There we go. Um, So what is a tithe? Really, a tithe is just a tenth. That's literally, it means a tenth. But it's a special kind of tenth. It's a first fruit. It's the first tenth. And I I think this is a concept of why Jesus, um, or why the Lord holds this as a principle and attaches a blessing to it. It's because of the position of that money where it goes, right? It's not just that you give a tenth at some point during the year. It's actually that you give him the first tenth. It's something that you actually place Jesus first in your finances in the same way that you place him first in your time, in the same way that you place him first in your thoughts, in the same way that you place him first in your motives and desires. It matters that you give God first. So in that, it's a return of a portion of our income that points to the idea that God owns it all. So it's actually taking a portion of it and declaring that God is first. So what are, what are some principles in this? So the first one is, is, friends, just the principle of treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that interesting? Jesus doesn't say that your treasure follows your heart. Isn't that weird? Like, it doesn't look like this. It doesn't like your heart heads out and your treasure follows it. He actually says where your treasure is, your heart will also be. Actually, your heart will follow your treasure. So the question is, where is my treasure? If your treasure is all in the stock market, you know what you'll do every day? You'll check the stock. Hey, who, who got in on AMC? Or, no, no, sorry, no, GameStop. Who got in on GameStop? Wes, you, to get on GameStop? Yeah. I guarantee if you bought GameStop and it's zooming to the heavens, you checked it every day, right? And I bet you didn't even just check it every day. I bet you checked it like every hour or every 30 minutes. Everybody, I remember the first time I tried to trade stocks, this is like 2001, and I had 500 bucks, and I was in Ameritrade, and somebody told me about penny stock. And I'm waking up, you know, as soon as I can, and I'm just like, what's happening? And I lost all of it, which is a lesson that um, I'm not that smart. But anyway, I was like just checking all the time. Why? Because my treasure was there. My treasure was there. You know, it's like, I don't really care about football all that much, but my son's playing football right now. And so guess what? I love this little football team. Why? Because my treasure, he's, he's my treasure. And wherever he goes and gets involved in, my heart will go into that thing. I'll love it. And guess what? When he stops playing, I won't care about that football team anymore. I'm like, no, I'm not showing up. I don't care. He's not there. My treasure is no longer there. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? 
right? Where are you putting, and I'm talking about money, possession, like this actual treasure, not your thought of what you value, but your actual possessions, wealth, treasure. There's a principle of, of trust in the tithe. There's, there's a, an act of trust to start your income minus 10% to believe that God can use your 90. And that he can give you in 90 what you could get in 100. And what I'll just challenge you is if you go from 90 to 89, God will show up. If you go from 89 to 80, every point you go past that tithe, God will show up and he will provide you. He just will. It's who he is, but he loves, I'll just say this, God loves acts of trust. Because trust demonstrates faith, and it says it's impossible to please God without faith. So it's this act to say, God, I'm going to trust you with 100, but actually I'm going to go beyond that. I'm going to trust you with 90. I'm just going to give 10 right off the top to you, and I'm going to live on this other 90 and know that you can take care of me. There's the principle of timing, that, that thing that tithe is first. The Bible says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, Proverbs 3, and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then what? Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Guys, the problem with prosperity gospel is that it's partly true. And I know that might shock you, but it's because there are promises in the Bible like this one that say, if you will trust me, I will bless you. And it's not just ethereal, any kind of blessing. He literally says, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The question is, why will he bless you? So what we know from Jesus is he's not blessing you to build bigger barns so that you can say to your soul, look at me, I'm wealthy. I can just get out of the world. No, no, no. He's blessing you so that you can bless more generously. He's literally making your land filled with plenty so that you can just keep giving back to him. 2 Corinthians 9 says, he who gives seed to the sower will not fail to provide you in every way and all things. If you'll continue sowing and the more generously you sow, the more generously God will sow into you and you just keep going. And the only thing that can change that is that hand that was open starts to do this, starts to close over your possessions, over your resources. And God says, oh, man, as long as you are open, I can just flow things through you. But it's this timing that God says, I bless first fruits. I love first fruits. That's why there's something, friends, I don't know if you've experienced, there's something about waking up early in the morning that is different. There's just something about offering God the first fruits of your time. Just getting up and opening, it's, I don't know why it is, I can't explain it, it's mysterious, it's just true. And um, it's different than your midnight Bible study. I don't know why, it's just different. It just feels different. And in that, there's this principle of return, right? This is Jesus. He says, give, and it will be what? It will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I know some of these are hard because what we've seen, going back to the prosperity gospel, is we have seen abuse of these principles, but what I just want to encourage you is you can't allow the abuse of these principles to move you into disobedience of this reality. God won't be like, oh, cool, you don't have to because that TV preacher is weird. He doesn't like, <laughs> he's not like, oh, okay, okay, now you're off the hook. Don't do that. No, no, he's like, my promise stands. Do you want it? 
It's just an invitation. Do you want it? Do you want to experience this? I love Malachi says this, because I, the Lord, do not change. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have turned away from the statutes and not kept them. I love that he says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask, how can we return? And he hits on a really key thing. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you ask, how do we rob you? And he says, in the tithes and offerings. He's like, the things I've asked you to do with your resources, you haven't been doing And there's a curse that comes with going against God's wisdom. But he says this, he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there might be food in my house. Test me in this. One of the few times God, it might be the only time, I don't know. God says, test me. See if I do not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessing without measure. Not just he's going to pour out blessing, but he says this too, I will rebuke the devourer. Have you all ever been in a time of life where you feel like no matter what you do, you cannot get ahead financially? Anybody ever been there? Where you're just like, man, I just feel like every, and I'm, I'm trying my hardest. And I'm just like, it just feels like my pockets have holes in them. And money goes in and money falls out and I don't know what happens. There's a principle in the Bible about the devourer that Satan is a real enemy and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy in all areas of your life. But actually he wants to do it in this way. He wants to come and devour you. But God says, if you will give me what I deserve, I'll rebuke him. And your vine and your field will not fail to produce fruit. I'm going to stay there. So, um, (laughs) the last thing is this principle of faith. And, And here's what I'll just confess. My next confession is just my failure of wanting, uh, of wanting to not come across as a legalist. Like, as a pastor, that's like the, one of the worst things you can be like, oh, this church is religious, it's legalistic, it's old, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like in many ways I've robbed our church of this concept and this principle and the privilege of operating in it by desiring to not be considered religious. Because I believe this as much as I believe anything and as much of anything I've ever seen God work in my life, this principle has worked. And it works over and over and over again. And so I think we failed people by not encouraging faith in this realm. So I've said before, listen, if you don't make enough money, God doesn't expect you to tithe, right? So like if you're impoverished, giving 10% feels like oppressive. But I think what I failed to do is invite people to say, but if you did, here's what God promises you, right? So Annie's family has this famous story about her grandpa. He's sitting in church. He was making $5 a week. $5 a week. That's not very much money, even whatever year that was, 1960. I think his rent was like $10 a month or something like that. So it was like, huh? 1940? Is that what the time is? Man, it's a long time ago. Um, But he's sitting in church. They're passing the plate. So you guys don't even know that pressure anymore. We don't pass the plate right? And nobody's watching when you're passing the plate and you're like, I got to put something in, just put the card. There's nothing in it, but it's that way nobody knows, like, right? It's it's so crazy. And so they're passing the plate and he's just like, all right, God, I know I need to give, but I don't have, I don't have it. I just don't have it. And he just felt like the Lord told him to tithe. And so he took 50 cents out of his pocket and dropped it in the plate. And it was like, all right, God, I don't know what to do past here, but I'm going to trust you. The next day, his boss calls him in his office. He's like, Jack, I was sitting behind you at church on Sunday. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, I saw you put 50 cents in the plate. 
And he's like, yeah. And he goes, you can't afford to put 50 cents in the plate. I know what you make. And he's like, and his statement was, I figured I can't afford not to. And his boss looks at him and goes, okay, tell you what, I'm going to give you a raise. And we have a garage apartment. I want you to move in until you can save enough money to get on your feet financially. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just an act of faith. And I'm not saying that happens every time because sometimes we might do that 50 cents for a year or for five years. And you just go, God, I don't know what's happening. I'm just going to trust you. But I just want to tell you, I started when I was 19 when I worked under the oppressive regime of Todd and Greg at Crossings. And they paid us nothing and worked us like dogs. I made $75 a week before taxes. And uh, most of that was spent on gas driving to Deer Creek. I lived in Newcastle. Um, and, but I just felt like the Lord was just saying, this is your heritage. This is what I want you to do. So I would give $7.50. I'm in the largest auditorium you've ever seen with some of the wealthiest people I've ever known. And I'm literally writing a check. <laughs> it felt so ridiculous. I was like, here's my $7. I mean, they might not even cashed it. I don't know if they just like, it's not even worth it. Just tossed it out. They're like, but I was just like, all right, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this money. And friends, I can just tell you over the last 25 years, God has never failed to provide for me financially. And because I started on $75, tithing has never felt like a sacrifice. It's been a joy. And it's just been fun to watch God work in my financial life. And I have been to, you know, where I've been like, I have everything I need to the point where I couldn't pay my house payment. And other people's generosity paid my bills for a year. I don't know how you've been to that low point, but it's embarrassing, right? Where you're just like, oh. God, I have nothing. I need help. And other people are writing checks so that you can pay your bills, right? And so what I've seen is I've seen God show up over and over and over again. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite the band back up. And we're going to pass the plate. I'm just joking. We're not doing that. Uh, so here's what I want to do. I, I want to invite you to ask the Lord. And especially, I, I felt really compelled because we have so many young people coming to church now. And here's what I know. I know if you'll start now in faithfulness, because here's what we think. We think that someday in the future we'll bank enough money to where we'll be really generous. And I'll just say, whatever you do with 50000 you won't do more if you make $500,000. It's, 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 whoever you are now, you'll become more of that as you age. So what I want to say, when you're young, I just want to encourage you, like, just start faithfully giving whatever the Lord says. And I know it's like, should we tithe on the gross or the net? I mean, there's all these functional questions. Annie's dad just always says, do you want to be blessed on the gross or the net? Right? And I love that. I was like, what a great answer. You know, it's like, okay, Lord. And literally, I went through this phase where I like realized like, oh, I'm tithing on the net. And I changed. I was like, okay, I got to tithe on the gross because I want God to bless my finances. And so here's what it is. This isn't judgment or condemnation. Um, I think it reveals something that used to be assumed that's become neglected. It just used to be assumed Christians gave 10% of their income, and they actually have proven that the more money people make, the less they give percentage-wise. I read a study that said people who make under $20,000 a year are more likely to tithe than people who make over 75. Isn't that fascinating that most times the most generous among us have the least resources? And so God gives us this invitation and here's what I want to say. Um, again, I feel like it's so easy to tell people they should give to the poor, give to nonprofits, but I just want to say this. You should give generously to your church if you're a member. 
If you're here, God's blessing you, God loves you, God's working in this place, you should give generously. Not under compulsion, Todd, uh, uh, Paul says, Todd says that too, but uh, uh, Paul says, he says, give cheerfully. Why? Because Jesus' reckless love saved you, and he's given you a new name and a new family, and Jesus loves his bride, and he desires that his bride is beautiful and well-resourced. That's what I just say. Jesus loves the bride. And I just want to say, I've never been more confident than this moment right now to say this church that you're in right now is beautiful right now. God's working in this place. There's people that will love you, sacrifice for you, show up for you, pray for you, seek healing for you. I mean, everything you could think about that you need in the spiritual realm is provided in this place. And God just says, so in so that more people might experience what you're experiencing, that I might increase what's happening. So I've never felt more confidently to say, you should give generously to this church if you call it your family. God's doing something really special here, and it's not about a pastor or a program. It's about Jesus. And um, I felt this thing about there's so much anxiety and insecurity in Christians today because we've removed so many historic practices from our lives, like consistent historic practices, whether it's church attendance or um, like faithful, consistent giving. And I thought it's like building a house with 50% of the rebar we used to live, use, right? We're like, the, the inner things are less, and so our lives are less stable. And I just wrote a couple things that I think are important. I think your spiritual house was never meant to, de- uh, was never designed to bear the weight without obedience. Obedience to these simple things are like the rebar in your structure. They provide stability. So here's what I think. I think Christianity doesn't need to be remade. I think it needs to be revived. I'm going to say that again. Christianity doesn't need to be remade. We don't have to rethink what giving is or tithing or the Bible. We just need to revive the practices of our heritage. Christianity doesn't need to be relevant to the spirit of the age. It needs to return to the spirit of God. We need to do the things we did before. And so for me, from the time I was 19, my family taught me to tithe 10% to the church and give above and beyond in offerings. And I've done that since I was 19 years old. I give 10% to the church and I give above and beyond to offerings. And I know you're like, how? How do you maintain it? You maintain it because God is in charge. That's it. It's the way it's possible. God's in charge. And I just want to invite you, if you want to do that, do that. If you want to start less, start less. It doesn't matter, but start. <laughs> Faithful, consistent, first fruits giving. Where you're like, God, first of the month, I honor you. Right? And I know it's not sexy to do ACH, right? It's like not romantic. It's just, but it, it honors God to just go first. So I want you to stand to your feet, and uh, I want to pray for us. Jeremiah 6 says this, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. You hear that? Isn't that sweet? God says, listen, if you're confused, if you live in a day and age where people are anxious and insecure and they don't know what to do, what should you do? First, you should stop and you should look for what? The ancient paths. Not a new path, not a fancy new way of being a Christian. No, no, no. Seek the ancient paths. And then he says this, 
walk in it. And what do you get if you walk in the ancient wisdom of the church, if you walk in the wisdom of your grandparents and great-grandparents and the saints of history? You find rest. Isn't that interesting? Our world is so in pursuit of rest these days. We're like, where can I find rest? And Jesus is like, in me and in the practices of my kingdom. But the, the sad thing is it says at the end of the Jeremiah passage, it says, but you said we will not listen and you said we will not walk in it. And basically it's them saying we want our own way. And I just want to make a commitment as a church to say we will walk in the ancient paths of wisdom. Like we won't reject things that as religious that are clearly in scripture that are an invitation. And so I just want you to close your eyes just real quick. And will you just ask the Holy Spirit? Spirit of God, what is it today that you want to teach me about generosity? Is there an invitation to me today? Is there repentance in my heart? I need to turn around because I haven't been giving you enough. give you this time and I just I just in the spirit just want to reject any words of the accuser that would say this is religious any words that would say anything Lord about your word or these concepts or the invitation because you're good God you're a good God you want to provide for us you love us and all of your commands bring life they never bring death they always bring life so would you just come, Holy Spirit, and would you teach us? Would you guide us? Would you make this church beautiful like Jesus? And Lord, would you lead us in generosity because you so loved the world that you gave your most prized possession that we would know you. So Lord, we just want to surrender our resources to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're just going to sing, and I just want to um, encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, what is it you, um, he would have you to do? And uh, I love this song that Trent chose because it talks about building your life. I'll build my life on the Lord, on his love. We want to do that. So let's sing.